In this episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I talk about the Golden Geek Awards from 2020 and all the winners and how it all worked. So stay tuned for all of that. Hello and welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, this is Bruce and I'm joined by... This is Josh. And if you are new to Board Game Impact, we are a bi-weekly podcast, so twice a month uh, podcast that brings our educational lenses, we both work full-time in education, um, to the games and gaming experiences that we're having for you and your game group's benefit. So if that sounds like an interest to you, make sure to hit subscribe while you still got the thing in your hand. And so today, we're not talking about necessarily games we've played, but um, actually, I think a lot of these games we've played, um, or versions of them they've played, we've played, so this is going to be fun. Um, but we had talked about this a couple weeks ago, Josh, in that we were voting and nominating different games for the Golden Geek Awards, right? Um, and so, Josh, what is your um, kind of history with the Golden Geek Awards, and what, do, what does it represent to you? Yeah, so Golden Geek Awards, for listeners who may be more unfamiliar, is a uh, user uh, voted on. Uh, award system put out through uh, boardgamegeek.com um, where the the site's administrators will pull together a list of, of games released over the last year and put them up for nomination or allow folks to vote for them for nominations for various different categories. Um, and I think we will get into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, Board game, uh, Golden Geek Awards have had a uh, history of being skewed in in certain ways. Um, that being because they are voted on by users, uh, and and their categories aren't always the most well defined. Uh, sometimes games end up winning a whole lot of categories or like one game wins a lot of categories i think of like a couple years ago we'll we'll talk about it yeah we'll talk about it (laughs) so it's not it's never been something i've paid a whole lot of attention to um compared to other awards uh that are out there the spiel right i i focus far more on what wins the spiel de jars um than i do necessarily on what wins game of the year through the golden geek awards um that being said uh i think this year's uh awards system uh their setup was significantly improved mm-hmm. and so one of the reasons that i was uh, excited to talk about it this year okay cool so yeah because let's call it josh that wasn't always that wasn't really the best sales pitch of like we were going to talk about this thing <laughs> but it doesn't make an impact on the hobby from our lens <laughs> um but you mentioned the the key there at the end, and that is that we feel that they made some changes this year that that may showcase a little bit more, and maybe also still have some controversy. Spoiler, um, but in the end, the thing that's important about this, and the one reason we wanted to talk about it, a the changes they made, which we had talked about a little bit. Um, but also the last year was a little interesting in terms of games. So it's interesting to see what rises to the top in this very remote experience where a lot of people didn't necessarily have gaming group situations. Um, but they made some changes to the system, but then at the same time, 
There's also the fact that this is Board Game Geek. This is the hub of board gaming and the gaming community. And so I think it's, although it might not be indicative of a sales bump or different things like that, I do think it's very interesting to have the pulse on, especially if if you're looking for user feedback on different types of games that you might be interested in, this might be the perfect thing because there's a lot of different categories here. Um, And one of them might speak more to you or your game group than another, right? Um, And I think there's the same thing because you mentioned the spiel. So that's the spiel de Ciaris, Josh. And so there's always that commentary with that even of like, I feel like the games aren't hobby games. And it's like, well, it's not designed for that. It's really designed for more of the mass market Children, like kids at heart of all ages, right? And so I think it's important to contextualize the award system, right? Absolutely. And and no award system is perfect, right? There, There's always going to be issues. I think one of the positive pieces, and you kind of hit on this, with doing the Golden Geek Awards in the way that they are managed is that you do get at least some sense of the folks most invested. Now, certainly there's a user bias here, right? Right. Um, Folks who are going on to BGG and are voting for their game of the year are passionate about that game. Right. Um, And most of the people who are going on there and voting, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about me voting. Mm -hmm. Probably did not play half or more of the nominated games this year. There are just too many games that come out in a year for us to be able to play everything. And so you end up voting for the games that you've played. So this does become a little bit of a popularity contest, but I think it is also helpful to know, like, what are the games that the majority of people played and so knew well enough to vote on them um, and enjoyed well enough to go in and vote for them? Mm -hmm. And so... Certainly, I think that one of the benefits of this is while you may not get the perfect game for you um, out of going paying attention to the Golden Geek Awards, I think what you will see are here are some really great games that came out and really took the industry and took the hobby by storm this last year. Exactly. Exactly. And just to walk you through if this is your first experience with the bgg awards it's important to know that how it all works so josh talked about a nomination process so there's a preliminary usually one month period of nominations so it's big old we had a big old list of games we could nominate and then there was a voting period of about three weeks where you went category by category and of the nominated games if there was enough people that nominated them of the nominated games, you could rank them um, from 1 to 10, or or you didn't have to rank some of them. Um, But you get 10 games to kind of pull over to that category, and you could rank two of them at number one, being best, or all 10 of your choices at number one. But what's important is, because you might be like, well, that doesn't say who wins then, if you're able to put everybody as a one, or somebody as a one, and then the next one's a three, and skip a two. Uh, But it makes sense, because of how they do it. So they conduct all the voting using the Schultz method. I method, I might be saying that wrong, but it's S C H U L Z E method, um, which is essentially a pairwise comparison in which you're looking who gets a majority when you're doing this pairwise throughout the thing. Um, so the majority of votes with all these pairs um, and that pops up the winner and then two runners up of the whole thing. 
Um, and so they just announced this. Um, but some other context, because this is important. We always talk about our positionality with things. Um, there were some rules with it. Um, so like games or podcasts that have won a Golden Geek in the award were not eligible to be nominated again. Um, print and play category. So if we get to that one in this episode, um, it can't be a title that's in the process of being published. Um, so that's important. It couldn't have been like, hey, proto- this was the prototype, and then it also wins game of the year. No, it's like print and play only. Um, and then the voters of who could vote, you just to help with voter restrictions, um, because it's a site on the internet <laughs> with not much besides like log in here. Uh, voting was restricted to users who have who have an avatar a geek badge or have paid 20 geek gold, which you can get geek gold from like doing mod type things. I've got lots and lots of geek gold. If you need an avatar for your profile, shoot me a message, Bruce Brown on BGG and I'll gladly send you enough. Um, <laughs> I have enough because you get usually like 2000 geek gold by just doing the yearly support. And because of BGG's contribution, I do um, support them, but that is my choice. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how that all works. Um, yeah, so Josh, do you have anything before we dig into uh, retrospective that I kind of have? Um, no, I think uh, this is a good place to start, though. I do have some uh, some comments about some of the rules um, yeah, go that ahead. were in place this year. Um, so I do find it very interesting, right? You, you mentioned the one that I find, uh, and I actually was not aware of this, that the uh, print and play... Um, is supposed to be focused purely on games that are print and play only. Um, we'll get into it a little yeah. bit maybe later on. The runner-up uh, is in production for a yep uh, a, a physical copy being released. I and agree so, with you. I don't think at the time that was announced yet. Like when they started it the nomination, may not have been when they first started it. Uh, you may be correct on that. I can't remember when Jamie said that that, that was going to be. Uh, and you kind of buried the lead that. there. But again, not a Stonemeyer podcast. That's <laughs> Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. <laughs> and the game is Rolling Realms. So that's your first spoiler of uh, print and play runner up. But yeah, Rolling yes. Realms is getting a production. So yeah, I think it's interesting that even because how do you control that? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and. Especially with something like a print and play, right? The right. point of a print and play, you know, it Rolling Realms was never intended to be a physical game. Um, but there was such high demand that the publisher decided, yeah, we'll do it. If people want to buy it, we'll we'll make it. So Yep. Um yeah, it's just very interesting how some of these things can be very nebulous, which again we will get into <laughs> yes so speaking of nebulous josh you talked about wingspan before so i actually already had it pulled up on my screen and i wanted to give the context of the 2019 bgg awards okay so i'm going to read off these categories artwork card game expansion family game innovative game party game solo game strategy game and strategy game um all of them were wingspan with the being the winner last year. Yeah. And in fairness, uh, sorry, party game was wavelength. I saw the W and sorry, that was the only, ah, yes. sorry about that. that but the all the other ones were wingspan. Yeah. And, and a lot of people took a lot of issue with that. And, and I think for good, 
good reason, right? Uh, there were a lot of great games that came out in 2019 that deserved recognition. And and so, but I will also say I'm I'm a little bit biased here. I've never played the solo mechanic in, in Wingspan, so I can't say for sure. But pretty much all of those categories, Wingspan could have won. Right. right. I think it's it's reasonable that most of them, though I right, arguable on, on some of them. Sure. It's is, all perspective. It a, it's aesthetic value. Yeah. Is it a is it a family game in the traditional sense of a family game? Probably not. It's a little bit more heavy than that. Well, it depends on the what definition you define of, family. <laughs> yes. The definition of family is nebulous. Uh and so yeah, that's there's a lot that goes into some of those decisions, which I think is why some of the changes made this year were were well were well suited to address some of these concerns, though maybe not all of them. Right. So we addressed some of those in the previous episode, but I just want to summarize them. So in 2020, for these awards, first of all, there's there's two sister sites, so RPG Geek and Video Game Geek. They did not have awards this year, and they replaced Board Game of the Year, Best Strategy Board Game of the Year, and Best Family Board Game of the Year with Light Game of the Year, Medium Game of the Year, and Heavy Game of the Year, as well as added a new board game category called Best Zoomable Game. <laughs> Um, so that's something you can play over online video chat or audio type things. Um, and then best party, uh, best party board game was not held given the global situation. Um, yeah. so I think I think Zoomable was their uh, break break for party games is to give give some credit to some folks who um, maybe designed games or, or had games that were well designed for. Uh, groups to play Mm -hmm. during a global pandemic. Right. And so with that, I think without further ado, um, I've got it pulled up. Josh, I know you've got it pulled up. We're on the Board Game Geek website. And I think we just go at the top and we go down. Um, So this isn't in any particular order besides the order that it was presented, which looks alpha by category. Um, But yeah, so we're just kind of going down the BGG list. So if you want to follow along with us even... Whenever you're listening to this, you can do that. Just search um, Golden Geek 2020 on Board Game Geek. It should be right there on the homepage if you're listening to this at the time of this recording and publishing. Um, but yeah, so let's start right with the tops. Sound good, Josh? Perfect. Okay, so two-player game of the year. And it goes to Undaunted North Africa. So Undaunted is um, it's a World War II game um, that is based on the same designer as War Chest, a very popular game um, that Josh and I both love. Um, but it's this is particularly the North, North Africa campaign, and it's a follow-up, a standalone kind of second game um, of Undaunted Normandy, um, which added in some new mechanics and stuff too by Osprey Games. Um, Josh, have you gotten a chance to play Undaunted? I have not played either version of Undaunted. It is on my short list of games to get. Uh, the challenge that I have is I just don't get enough two-player games to the table, uh, especially since I don't have Bruce to sit around <laughs> and play War Chest with for hours on end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
I, I love War Chest. Uh, just looking at the pedigree of the designers, looking at how they went into designing these games. Um, and they've talked about how War Chest is really a scaled down version of yeah. Undaunted. And so it has all of the, the box boxes there for me. I did not vote for a single game in in the two player category because I just don't play a lot of two player games, so I'm not educated enough to make that distinction. But <laughs> so, Josh, I, you're 100 percent right that this is a game I would definitely play with you. Yeah, um, I am thankful. I actually have been able to play Undaunted. Um, so, if you want to check that out, I do recommend watching. Like, so Rodney Smith, the watch it played, and then. Um, Shut Up, Sit Down has two pretty good uh, like videos out about Undaunted, kind of how it all works, and um, it's really it's really streamlined and simple. Josh, um, it has a really simple card draw mechanic, um, and the what you have in your hand, just like in playing War Chest, um, you have the three chips, but in this case, three cards. Uh, it kind of changes the interactions of what you can do. Uh, but what's interesting is if you want to move around the board, you have to like send out your scouts and the further out you scout, the more fog of war you add. So your deck gets bigger, which makes getting the things you want in your hand more difficult. And there's different types of units and things that you can do different things with, like um, getting more units or movement or capturing different areas um, adding fog of war cards to somebody else's deck what's nice about uh, out in north africa it adds in um like tanks um and different vehicles um where the other one really just had like sniper mortar team uh rifleman scout um and then the leadership like platoon and things like that um really really good game um so as soon as we played it uh we immediately tore it down set it back up to play that scenario again um, and we're looking forward to playing through the entire campaign plus some bonus scenarios that i have so we're really looking forward to that yeah would love to get this to the table with you sometime bruce yeah um so josh how about you announce the next one because i know this one's a little near and dear to your heart it a little bit <laughs> um not for the not for the category i had hoped but sure. artwork and presentation is our next category and winner for this was on mars uh on mars a uh vitalicerda game uh mm-hmm. artwork and design by ian o'toole the wonderful enigmatic <laughs> ian o'toole uh-huh um yeah i uh i thought i thought this was an interesting selection uh i adore this game it is uh definitely i do not own it i've only had a chance to play it a couple times on tabletop simulator sadly i really want to get this to the table though because even on tabletop simulator it looks great can only imagine what the table presence looks like on this but on mars is a heavier uh game uh if you are familiar with fatalis Erda's work uh you know what i mean uh it is uh the man designs very very complex Mm -hmm. euro games um and on mars as the name would imply uh you are colonists uh working to set up uh a colony on mars um i think this has great artwork it like i said it looks beautiful um I thought there were some better mm-hmm. artwork nominations this year, but I think it's a well-deserved 
credit to Ian O'Toole for the phenomenal, if, if not outstanding art, at least phenomenal graphic design that goes yes. into all of his games. And this is no exception. I agree with you. And so I think the presentation part is what's trying to capture the graphic design. Um, because I think in playing with you, Josh, actually, we played together. We played on Mars together. Um, and learning it, it's a lot to learn for a Serta game, right? Um, mm-hmm. That being said, the graphic design and design choices that Ian applied to it makes the game much more accessible than it could have been. Um, and I think that you know, like he just did a fe- like phenomenal job of translating these systems of systems on systems that happen both in space as well as on the planet, and then also your player board. Really, just knock out knock out of the park job, um, which is no surprise from Ian. Just to put that out there, um, but I do think that the part I struggle with this category is. Uh, sometimes a game I really want to focus on the artwork and some of the times I want to focus on the graphic design. Um, Cause I think those can accomplish two different, but sometimes symbiotic things or so sometimes not. Um, so I agree with you. I think there are some games that might've shown better. Ironically, some of them also graphic designed and artwork by Ian O'Toole. Um, but yes. I, I'm glad <laughs> Ian got the nod either way. Yeah. And and I will just say, kind of on the topic of Ian O'Toole as an artist, if you're not familiar with his work, uh, you need to check it out. The man is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It, he it, it speaks volumes to Ian O'Toole has worked for years with Vital Lacerda. And I think if you go back and look at some of Lacerda's older games, uh, I think of the original version of Kanban. Oh, yeah. Before they started working together. And then look at some of the newer games that Ian has worked with uh, Lacerda on. It, it's just night and day in terms of playability. Yep. Um, the The games themselves are still just as complex, just as difficult, um, just as brain burning. But they're much easier to teach yep. when, when Ian O'Toole is involved. And so, yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to, to Ian and the work that he does. And I think it's a well-deserved win uh, for an award for, for recognizing that. But I would agree, Bruce, I think it'd be nice to see a, a split in this mm-hmm. category. Um, one that focuses purely on art, and one that focuses more on the presentation and graphic design choices. I would even maybe even throw out there a like box art because that might be yeah. something else that's completely different, right? Um, so yeah. I think this is a category that's doing a lot. Um, so it's, yep. it's carrying a lot. Um, but I'm, like I said, really glad Ian um, got the nod there. And then um, just to put this out there, since you brought up Kanban, that's why I bought Kanban EV is because he did the graphic design for it. And it's so, so much better. Um, Okay. So our next one, and this is, I'm going to just say this, this is the most controversial one of the list um, in terms of reading through the pages and pages and pages of BGG content for this. And the category is card game of the year. And so um, the winner of Card Game of the Year, and then I'm going to give some context on why it's controversial. Um, the winner of Card Game of the Year is Dune Imperium. 
Um, so Dune Imperium is a uh, really really fun. We did a whole episode about it. Um, I've done a video like videos about it, um, in which it's a deck builder combined with some worker placement based in the Dune universe. Josh and I do all do both. I have both read Dune, um, and so we this is, hits us uh, a, an interesting point for us in that we the property means a lot to us. Um, but it also is anticipation of the movie that was supposed to come out, but that was coming out this year. Cannot wait. Um, but the, the controversy here, Josh is like somebody even wrote in the comments of like Dune Imperium, which has a big board and like resources and everything. Dune Imperium winning card game of the year is the BGG like award system in a nutshell. And I'm curious your thoughts before I get into mine. So my thoughts, uh, I'll be honest. Yeah. I think some of the complaints here are a bit overblown. Sure. Hashtag I understand. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I understand where people are coming from. I think there are more traditional card games that we think of. Um, that that came out this year that were excellent and I, I think deserved a lot of credit and deserved a lot of praise. That being said, Dune Imperium is a phenomenal game mm-hmm. and we're, I'm, I'm going to compare Dune Imperium to another game that came out this year that shares a lot of the same bones and that's Lost Runes of Arnak. They right. get compared a lot. A runner up for artwork. When you look at Dune Imperium versus Lost Runes of Arnak, they're both technically worker placement deck building games. Correct. I would argue Lost Runes of Arnak is a worker placement resource management game that has some deck building mechanics in it that allow you to do some things. Okay. I think of Dune Imperium as a deck builder that has a board. Uh huh. I and the worker placement pieces, though it has some similar vibes and similar feelings to the way that Lost Runes of Arnak does, it its card play is much more integral to the game itself, I think. Um, so are there other games that I think probably should have gotten a nod for card game over Dune Imperium? Yeah, probably. Does Dune Imperium deserve an award for being a very, very well-designed game? Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not upset that Dune Imperium won card game of the year. That being said, I also don't play a ton of card games. So I'm a little biased, Um, you know, my, my viewpoint is, is not the same as other folks. Um, And so I would consider Dune Imperium to be a card game. So, Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, and so I I appreciate you leaning into that of like, Hey, I don't really play a lot of card games, but I think that question uh, comes up and I, and that's one of the things that's why it's controversial in the chat because there's this whole thing of, well, then what is a card game? And so um, the runners up, by the way, are Fort, which does have a player board for each person and resources and Oceans, which also has player boards and resources for each person. Um, the Dune Imperium just has a central board 
as uh, really that's sort of the thing is. Um, so when I was looking, because I was looking at the definitions of the categories, I even opened up Jeff Engelstein and Isaac Shalev's book, which is the uh, building blocks of tabletop game design, which is the nomenclature mechanics of everything for BGG now, like BGG adopted it. There isn't a definition of what a card game is. And so for Dune Imperium, Josh, I think because of the interplay of the cards and the way it works of the reveal, right, or playing a card, but really focusing on your deck doing all the things, I think it transitions into the deck actually is the primary focus, right? And I think the deck is the primary focus in Fort and Oceans and, and playing the cards in the right way. But just I encourage you to maybe have this conversation within your game groups to just say, like, what do we view as a card game? Because is it a card game, a game that only involves cards? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in which case it might that might not be the totality. Um, and so that's also where this all falls into with being user generated of if there isn't a, a definition that everyone goes by. But you can interpret things, which in this case, what is the focus of the play? And the play is really with the cards. And yeah, you're selecting some um, some spots on the board, quote unquote, to manage how you're doing that. But if the, the interplay is really the cards. Um, and so I could see people saying this is a card game. And I know this, we went longer on this one, but I know that this is one of these like fundamental distinctions that's important to lean into. And I'm glad we did. Um, yeah, so absolutely. congrats to Dune Imperium, um, as well as Fort and Oceans, um, because they're all kind of the same along that line. Um, so the next one up, we've got cooperative game. And so since it's cooperative, I did the intro. Josh, you can say what it is. Sure. The winner this year for cooperative game of the year, uh, is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Now, Bruce, I know you've played quite a bit of Gloomhaven, have. substantially more than I have. Have you played Jaws of the Lion? I haven't, but it's intentional of why I haven't. Um, okay. Have, have you played Jaws of the Lion? I have not. Okay. Um, so for listeners that may be unfamiliar with Jaws of the Lion, this was a smaller box uh, version that, that uh, of Gloomhaven that was released, um, kind of designed as kind of this intro exactly. to Gloomhaven. Uh, and you know, interestingly enough, it is also a, a target kind of was a target uh, purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, so, Bruce, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So the reason I didn't really go the Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion route, don't get me wrong, it, it might help introduce some players um, because you said that intro piece. But that intro piece is really what I was like, I don't necessarily need that. I'm already pretty far into a campaign. I don't need to teach myself. I don't need to teach my wife nor anybody else, because it's really just the two of us playing it, how to play Gloomhaven. Um, and I don't need that gamification of rolling out um, different rules or mechanics so that way we can learn it really well. I just didn't need it. Um, and so for me, it just didn't make really sense. But the core game there is Gloomhaven. Um, it's just pared down to a spiral book, almost um, like a, an adventure book as you're flipping. Um, and it makes sense that it's a cooperative game because think of how well... Gloomhaven did, um, and then Frosthaven's Kickstarter, which I'm waiting for that, and that's going to be exciting. Um, but it makes sense then that this would also resonate, um, especially given the fact that it was much more accessible 
um, where it had a lower, much lower MSRP than a Gloomhaven box, which MSRP is like 140. Now, usually you can find it for less than that, but Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion was about 50. Um, so it was a lot, a lot more entry level in terms of you can get into the Gloomhaven system, see if you like it. And so it makes a whole lot of sense for me that this won. Um, yeah. You know, I think for, for me, um, absolutely. I would agree with everything you just said. I also would kind of point out, right. One of the reasons I've never played Gloomhaven is I've just never found a consist. I started, I played through the first mission three different times with three different groups and none of those groups have stuck. Um, because it's just hard, right? It's like setting up any type of long form, yeah, you know, RPG or any other type of, you know, I don't even know if you would, if I would even call Gloomhaven a legacy game. It's kind of beyond the scope of even most legacy games. Yeah. Super Um, epic campaign. Yeah. So this is a way that you could experience and it's something that I've considered for a while, right? Because you get the experience of playing Gloomhaven in a much smaller, compact, manageable mm-hmm. kind of playtime. My issue now is that everyone I know has played all of Gloomhaven and so they're <laughs> not really they're in kind of the same boat as you, Bruce. They're not really interested in going back and playing this little primer to to the original yeah um and and so we'll see um i I mean i give a lot of credit to them uh oh yeah i I do i i also this is another one of those weird rule things that kind of rubs me a little bit i don't know why um but you mentioned a previous winner can't win again this isn't anything new um Gloomhaven won a lot of awards, uh, Golden Geek Awards in its time. Um, and all they did is pared it down into a smaller version. So is uh, it really a different game? Uh, um, I would challenge you there. Okay. Because the regular Gloomhaven has the rule book, and then it also has the, um, like the adventure book. This one, the adventure and all the tiles. This one cut out like all the tiles and they're in the book. Um, so it's like as you're playing along in the book. So it's a very different user experience. And then also it it layered out the rules. So that way you're learning a lot. So I actually would say this is, yes, I would say it is different. Um, plus it's okay. got different character types that aren't available in the other one. So they had to design all of that. Um, and so all of that is brand new. You will not see that in the other one. So for me, just to, just to say it, I do see them as different. I just see them as using some of the same mechanics. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think my, my argument would be this feels more like an expansion than a standalone. I, I understand it is a standalone game, but again, it's a, how do you define some of these things? That's exactly. Type of question. Exactly. Um, you know, the same thing could be said about one of the runner-up here, which is Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, right? Pandemic Legacy, I mean, Pandemic has been re-released how many dozen times at this point in right. different formats and different... And so are each of those quote-unquote standalone games different games or are they kind of reiterations? Um, so it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, um, it is interesting. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. 
and, and then finally, I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to Forgotten Waters, which was the other runner up because yeah, I think that's important. I agree. I agree. And Forgotten Waters had some pretty innovative stuff. And I will say this, I'm not going to go down the Pandemic Legacy Season Zero route, but if if there was any of the Pandemic Legacies that I really, really, really want to play, it's this one. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I I'm just, right there with you. Right. Um, that's for another episode. Um, Josh, I know you just did some talking here a second ago, but I... I feel like I can't announce this one. I feel like you yeah, have to. <laughs> that's fine. Expansion, as I've been talking about expansions, um, goes to, I I mean, <laughs> the the game we've been talking about for since I joined this podcast. And um, we've talked about already on this episode. Yes. Uh, Wingspan, Oceana expansion. Um, I mean, I don't know what else, what there is to say. Wingspan is i i adore this game it's fantastic it's phenomenal the oceana expansion i personally thought it was phenomenal i really really enjoy some of the changes the new boards uh the new resources that come with the the oceana expansion um i definitely think it is i like the oceana expansion significantly more than i liked the uh european expansion and that's mm. not to say i disliked the european expansion it was at all a lot more of the same yeah in the, in the other one oceana actually added felt like it really added uh to the experience or changed the experience in some way that really made the game feel more fresh and and kind of revitalized it a little bit for me so i thought of yeah fantastic uh design fantastic choice um some of the others, I think, uh, had some great expansions uh, in the runner-up as well mm-hmm. with Root, the Underworld expansion, and Spirit Island, Jagged Earth. Yep. But, Bruce, that being said, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, so I haven't been able to play Oceana, um, which I want the mm-hmm. birds from Oceana, but you and I have had a long talk about some of the things it added, and I asked you some questions on a previous episode about it, and I'm really excited to play it. Uh, it just hasn't really been something that I have grabbed, if that makes sense. For some reason, I just haven't picked it up. Um, I do think, I'm just going to put this out there, because of when Root Underworld came out, I don't know that many people had gotten the opportunity to try it where Wingspoon came out earlier in the year. Um, so I just will say that. Um, it's an interesting thought because it brings up a comment that I have for later on okay. in this episode. Okay, so plant that seed and we'll circle back to that timing in a second. Um, so I'm going to do the next category, which is innovative. Um, so innovative game of the year. Um, so this is some game or like bringing something new to the table and hell yeah, that's awesome. And so the winner this year is micro macro crime city by Pegasus Spila. Um, so micro macro, I've talked about it in a previous episode. That is a game which is essentially where's Waldo snapshots on a big old map. And you get to solve some mysteries by backtracking where people go and what they, where they came from. You can go to Micro Macro's website to search Micro Macro, Macro in the Google machine. Um, and you, there's a free online demo that you can just click. And so you can see how the mechanics kind of work. Um, so Micro Macro, it's a game that is sold out worldwide um, with the um, back order coming into stock in the next couple weeks uh, because of all the international shipping things. This game sold like hotcakes once there were some uh, reviews about it online. And so I can't wait to pick it up. 
I do have it pre-ordered and it will, I will be playing it. Um, and my wife's excited about it too. Um, Josh, do you have any thoughts on micro macro from what we've talked about? Yeah. I mean, I likewise also, uh, played through the, you did kind of trial trial game. Um, after we talked about it, I think it was last episode actually, uh, really really enjoyed it um my wife did as well we we actually <laughs> sat down and and played through it together so uh i have not pre-ordered it yet just because i'm on a bit of a spending diet at the moment but uh definitely will be something i pick up uh next chance i get because i really enjoyed it i think it's a really cool concept um and i'm excited to see mm-hmm. how they manipulate that system in the future because i this isn't the most family friendly version of Correct. this game that could feel very family friendly. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see kind of what they do with that. There's a lot of things that they could do with this micro macro brand and with this micro macro system. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and so Josh, I'm really glad to hear about that. And I think like knowing your spending and stuff is important. But what's interesting is all three of these games are all currently on back order um, and coming in very soon. And so the runners up were Search for Planet X and Beyond the Sun. Um, and so on that note, just real quick, Josh, um, we I know we don't talk about these things often, but I'm gonna do a little quick break here from the regularly scheduled program to talk about something cool that is going on only until June, tw- June 30th, uh, 2021. And that is over uh, uh, with Tabletop Alliance, so the 501c3 nonprofit that both Josh and I are involved with, um, is running a game, buy a game, give a game campaign in which it that we're selling games um, on an e-commerce site. It's a pre-order only experience. And so you can go on and pre-order games like Micro Macro, Search for Planet X, Beyond the Sun, any of these games. And if there's one not listed, you can send us a message for a custom order and we'll check with our three distributors to get that game for you. But again, it's a pre-order only experience and we're calling it Christmas in July uh, because we're going to be shipping out those games starting in mid-July. And so what happens is you purchase a game um, and they're all at MSRP um, and the shipping. And then we are committing as a nonprofit to be giving a game to a library community program um, that is going to be using them or a school um, in this upcoming year, because a lot of schools and entities are opening back up and they want to, we want to help them launch back because they haven't been able to do stuff in person or with their students in almost two years. And so we want to equip them with all the tools and resources, um, especially to use gaming towards those outcomes. Um, so if you want to do that, you can go on over to shop.tabletopalliance.org. Again, that's shop.tabletopalliance.org. Um, and so all of the things from this are directly benefiting benefiting the nonprofit purposes. This is not a normal retail experience. This is really just to further the nonprofit cause by you getting something that you are wanting, but also making a positive impact on somebody else and spreading that joy. And so with that, let's get back to the show. Um, And we're going to talk about now, Josh, uh, light game of the year. And uh, quick drum roll, and because it's the same game we just talked about, Micro Macro Crime City, light game of the year. Um, so we don't need to explain it or anything again real fast, but Mm -hmm. I just wanted to roll into this one since I just did the last one. And so light game. Yeah, it's really, you've got a big old map 
and you just spend an hour or however long kind of tracking down the suspects. Um, it's really not a lot to it. If you've played a War- Where's Waldo, you can pretty much do this. Um, so it is very light, and by light, we don't mean like, oh, it's lightweight. It's only a big sheet of paper and some cards. No, like light in terms of approachability um, on, the, on, a, on a light to heavy scale, um, which BGG does have on the site, but you weren't bound to that. Um, and then the runners up here were Project L, which is a little tile placement uh, game, and then Santa Monica. And so with that, Josh, how about we transition over to Medium Game of the Year? Yeah, Medium Game of the Year, what I think is kind of the quintessential. I think if you think about these from years past, this would probably be that Game of the Year category. Um, the the kind of straight down the middle games that, that most board gamers are going to be interested mm-hmm. in or or have the capacity to play. And so winner for this year, we've talked about it before and a little bit more this episode, is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, Lost Ruins, as I mentioned previously, alongside one of the runner-ups in Medium Game of the Year, Dune Imperium, mm-hmm. is another worker placement deck builder. Um, and yeah, I don't know what there is to say about this. If you yeah. haven't played Lost Runes of Arnak, check it out. Uh, it's on Board Game Arena uh, as a in beta right now. It's quite uh, well designed on there. And so I strongly encourage, even if you don't have a chance to play a physical copy, to go and uh, give it a shot because I think this game is fantastic. Yep. And the other runner up there was Calico, um, which is a tight little game um, that, uh, who is it? Um, no pun intended, um, has a really good video about Calico. They just threw up there. So if you want to learn about tile placement with cats and making a quilt, you can go do that. Those runner up for medium game of the year. And so, yeah, go ahead. Bruce, I want to, there was one thing I wanted to jump in on here. Oh, is uh, this where the planting blossoms? The planting coming back to. <laughs> okay. You mentioned previously that you oh. had a feeling that Root the underwater world expansion uh-huh. lost out to wingspan because not many people had a chance to play it. Right. Cause it was all, it was a uh, Kickstarter and the Kickstarter delivered in end of the fall. Um, whereas the other one was more mass market from the get go. So I feel like the yeah. distribution channels were very different, which yes. can make an impact. Yeah. This is interesting because I have questioned whether recency bias played yeah. a significant role in this medium game of the year category. Not to say <laughs> that Lost Runes or Dune Imperium or Calico were undeserving. And I don't remember when Calico came out, but both Dune Imperium and Lost Runes both came out in November. Yeah, they were pretty much the same time. Yeah. Uh, and, and right at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Just just came in under the under the uh radar there mm-hmm. and completely blew everything up and, and so i don't wonder again they're both phenomenal games but they got a lot of play mm-hmm. right around the time that voting started taking place here lost uh, runes got person- a little bit more with the board game arena implementation right at the same time correct and you know my personal vote for for medium game of the year i've talked about it with you at least bruce i don't know if i've talked about it on here i thought after yeah i thought beyond the sun was my personal choice for for 
my game of 2020. I adored that game, but it did have a little bit more. And, and that came out or mid late spring, I think. Yeah, I, I know I played it like over the end summer. of December. It kind of came in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do wonder a little bit with some of these how recency bias and or, you know, the lack of ability to play, mm-hmm. especially in a year like 2020. Uh, impacted some of the the rankings on some of these. I agree. I think all that stuff is important, and that's why. Mm. Um, always remember that every every award system, every evaluation is skewed in some sort of way. So you just need to be able to see past some of that subjectivity to define for yourself what is important to listen to personally. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's why I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause I do think also that BGA port for lost ruins may have given this a bump. Cause that was right before, like literally the week before voting started. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think it definitely could be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. that being said, I, that might play into this next one cause there's a little controversy with this one too, but that is heavy game of the year. And so for heavy game of the year, the winner is Joom, uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. The controversy here, because we've already talked about Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, is that this is intrinsically designed as the intro learn to play kind of experience for Gloomhaven. So I'm curious of some of your thoughts there, Josh. So a little bit more into the weeds here. Sure. Um, when you look at how BGG set this up. Yeah. Uh, BGG sorted games based off of their weighting scale, uh, which is a zero to 10. Zero scale. to five. The weight? Yeah, it's zero to five. No, zero to 10. I'm looking Gloomhaven's at it. Is, Gloomhaven's in 8.8. <laughs> That's the um, average geek rating. Oh, you're right. Sorry. It's weight. <laughs> you're yeah, good. I'm looking at two different things. Yes. Is there waiting scale? Thank you, Bruce. You're good. For reminding me that I'm sometimes... There's a lot of numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so in a zero to five scaling, and this is, again user generated there's no standardized method for determining the weight of a game beyond what the majority of users who have played this game say it is and so right gloomhaven jaws of the lion does come in at the heavier end Um, i think they consider a heavy game to be a 3.5 and above uh and jaws of the lion comes in at a 3.56 so it meets the based off of the category that is being described it it met that standard. Yep. I could see much more of an argument to say this game you know if, if cuz you could override the system, right? You could say I don't care that this game received a 2 out of 5. It warns waiting. you, but yeah, you can. Yeah. And and so I would understand the the outrage or the frustration more if that were the case that the users just overrode the system and said no we think this is heavy game of the year right um that being said i don't know um (laughs) i i also kind of 
see where people are coming from. This is meant to be a lighter game um, than Gloomhaven was, at least. Yeah. Uh, is it a light game, though? I don't know. I've not played it. So yeah, and so in looking at the digging deeper into BGG data, um, so light is one, medium light is two, medium is three, medium heavy is four, heavy is five, and so the highest. So for Gloomhaven Jaws of the Line, there's 370 votes on weight in the BGG system, with 46.5 of them saying medium heavy at four, and then 44.9 of them giving it a three, but. 46.5 46.5 is higher, right? So 172 people said it's a four. And so that's why it's got a 3.56. Now, on the other hand, the runners up to this, by the way, are on Mars and uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom actually is like a 3.45 uh, on the scale. On Mars, though, has a weight of 4.64 with 909 votes in BGG for the weight. With 73% of people saying it's a 5 out of 5. Um, and then 21.8% of people saying that's 198 people saying it's medium heavy. Medium heavy, so a 4. And then almost nobody rating it below that. Um, so I just think yeah. it's kind of interesting. Like, like you said, you weren't limited. But I thought it was interesting to dig into the, huh, well, one has three times as many votes and also this other thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, but this one, in my opinion, I I agree. I was I was shocked whenever I saw it. Um, and again, because I've not played Jaws of the Lion, I I can't give too much of a thought on it. But I fully anticipated on Mars to be the winner here. Yeah. Um, because it is it is it is heavy. It is mm-hmm. complex. It is deep. And and you know, not playing Jaws of the Lion, but knowing that it's on a shelf in Target um, and being marketed towards non-board gamers. I was like, really, is that is yeah. that really that heavy that we're marketing it to people who have never played board games before? Yeah. And if it is considered that and people are considering it that, which also could be the audience, right? So if you look at the spectrum of a Target experience and that is there, and the, if there's a lot of people that have got into the hobby because of it, that might be the most complex thing to them. Um, as well. So it's important to also acknowledge that that our paradigms, our experiences also influence our view of other experiences. Um, so yeah, so I think it's kind of interesting and um, just kind of serious. See how these categories go moving forward as well. Um, we got mm-hmm. a couple more to kind of just scroll through. Um, so print and play, we've already kind of mentioned this and you mentioned the Rolling Realms was a runner up, but the winner was Seven Wonders Duel Solo. Solo. <laughs> so the print and play was essentially the rule set of how to do it solo. Um, so yeah, so that's that. Um, and then the other runner up though was Ticket to Ride Stay at Home. So they just made a custom scenario for Ticket to Ride that you could play at home but since they knew a lot of people have Ticket to Ride and are looking for something to do with family or things like that or to bring new spice to the games they have because it might not have been safe to go get new games. Um, so Interesting that- Interesting yeah. note on this one. All three of these are based off of previously yes. established properties, yep. uh, which I, I found very interesting. With, yeah, with it wasn't like play. indie print and play. It was really the ones that were probably able to generate a little bit more buzz. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. For, yeah. For a year where that was important. 
Right. Um, um, but I also know some other people like Dan Hughes and Cora, right? They made a game this year. Um, and so I think there's also a lot of games that are about to come out in the print and play or in other things that I'm very excited to see that come from 2020, but didn't happen in tw- didn't come out in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. Solo games. Um, the winner for this is I'm, I'm going to give the next one to you, section to you, Josh. Um, solo game for this one is Under Falling Skies. Um, with then runners-up of Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, and Lost Ruins of Arnak. So Under Falling Skies is one we haven't talked about. Um, this is a game by CGE, so Czech Games Edition. Um, I haven't really played this, but um, from everything I've seen about it, everything I've read about it, it's really like a Space Invaders board game um, without with a different name because Under Falling Skies, where the little dudes keep coming down and you're trying to shoot them out. Um, so yeah, that's really what under falling skies is um from everything i have consumed g have you played that i have not and actually had not heard of it even uh until uh until looking at the solo game nominations um similarly you know i have a handful of solo games that i play um and i generally don't play uh multiplayer games with the solo variant um if i want a solo game then i'm just gonna play an actually designed solo game Mm -hmm. um so yeah um i'd definitely be interested in checking this one out though but yeah i didn't know much about it yeah and so if you're interested in solo maybe look at it josh why don't you take thematic thematic game of the year uh winner here once again getting a lot of praise was gloomhaven jaws of the lion uh, and both the runners up here, also um, very mm-hmm. popular, uh, were On Mars and Dune Imperium. Yep. And the thing, the thing I have a question about, Josh, when I think of theme, I don't always think of, oh, it's a fantasy world theme. Like Gloomhaven itself is a theme, right? And so I would just want to make that connection for people as a lot of people just usually associate it with, oh, fantasy, but like this Isaac's fantasy stuff, um, like dungeons, dungeon scroll things, uh, dungeon crawl. And so there is a theme there and that is an entire theme and world and universe that isaac created um but it just doesn't have an intellectual property or a planet like on mars or dune has so i just think i wanted to make that distinction and i also think the the there is the term thematic gaming i think or a thematic game has taken on a bit of a unique kind of caveat in in recent years when it comes to board games i i think i personally whenever I think of thematic games, I think of what we used to refer to as Ameritrash games, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Games that were where the focus is not the mechanics, but the focus is the theme of telling a story. Um, So Gloomhaven makes perfect sense there for me. The one that actually is more surprising was on Mars getting the runner up in my mind. I could see that. Um, because that is it, it. It makes sense why it was considered a thematic game, but to me, On Mars is just a really, really well designed system of mechanics that you know are related to building colonies on Mars. And to me, that is theme. Yeah, because if so, you're able to replicate what it would mean to be like a pro, like a system commander, or a, or, or or overseeing that on like mm-hmm. a 
in a at slightly abstracted way, I think that is a lot of theme coming through. And so a lot, yeah. I think a lot sometimes Euro games get kind of knocked for sure. you can't have theme, but I'm like, actually, that can pull out some emotions that are tied to the thing or some feelings. So yeah, I, I agree with yeah. that. I think, again, theme can be obviously like all of this subjective, but yeah. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, go Bruce, ahead. why don't you talk about our next category there? Yeah, so the next one is War Game of the Year. And so the winner of War Game of the Year is Imperial Struggle. Um, so France and Britain clash globally over trade to influence territory in the 1700s. This is by GMT. Of course, it's by GMT. Um, it's like there's no surprise there. And then on runner-ups, we've got Undaunted North Africa and Versailles 1919, um, which sure. Versailles, yes, that is also by GMT. Um, and also Versailles has one of the most interesting box arts ever. It's, it's a photo from outside of the Versailles treaty, by the way, of just these four white dudes. And if you know who they are, they're actually pretty influential people to the treaty of Versailles. Um, so So. I just think that's kind of interesting, but it's just a black and white photo of them standing outside of a building. That's all it is. (laughs) And you know, GMT is known for being, not the greatest artwork, um, yeah. but but some very deep war games. I'm not a war gamer myself. I think one of the, uh, I I'd be intrigued to try Imperial Struggle though. Yeah. Um. This was uh the same design team as Twilight Struggle and is right. the uh spiritual successor, so to speak, to Twilight Struggle, which um, widely considered one of the best war games ever made. So. Definitely be interested in checking this one out, even though I am not necessarily a war gamer um, at my core. Yeah. Um, So, and I haven't played these either, but definitely interested in experimenting. But I know that that (laughs) there's a lot to learn there. Um, So, because GMT Games has a pretty big learning curve because it's a simulation. Um, Okay, so we got two categories left, Josh. How about you go with best zoomable and then I'll do our digital implementation one. Great. So best zoomable game of the year went to Forgotten Waters. Um, really cool looking uh, cooperative. Bruce, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've played Forgotten Waters. I've, I haven't because of the year it had been, but uh, there's some really cool stuff going on in this game that we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I, uh, so as, as things are opening up more, um, one of my buddies... Uh, just got vaccinated and and was asking about trying to get a game of this together. So hopefully I get a chance to play it real soon. Yeah. Um, And I'm excited about it because I know it's got, uh, I'm fairly certain I'm correct when I say this. Um, So don't quote me on the last like 1% there, but I know it's got like some app components where they've even got like voice actors for different things um, to very, like make it very immersive um as well so i just think there's some cool stuff going on here that i could see why it's got zoomable because there's some digital implementation stuff to like companion it yeah and then runners up for zoomable were my city mm-hmm. um also a spiel nominee if yep, i recall by correctly. Reiner and the search for planet x yep 
And then our last category of the episode. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, but it's a lot of good things that might give you some guidance on some fun games to get or check out. And this is if you want to check out some digital implementations. Um, so best board game app of the year. And so this, by the way, app could have been a Steam store or an app on an iOS or Android, etc. Um, but the winner, Josh, I feel like it makes sense that I'm talking about this because it is Root. <laughs> 2020. Um, so Root by Direwolf Digital. Uh, yes, it's by Leader Games, but the online implementation, the, 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 that is by Direwolf Digital um, with runners-up of Wingspan and then mm. Cartographers. Josh, yeah. you and I have played Root. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you can leave it at yeah, played- but <laughs> I'd love for you to say yeah. more. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I I thought the digital adaptation of Root was phenomenal. I the only one of these I haven't actually played is Cartographers. Same. Um and I like Cartographers. I didn't realize there was an app until I saw the nomination. I'm guessing it's probably iOS because I have Steam and I have Android and I haven't seen it on either of those. So, um I'd love to give it a shot, but yeah, I I thought the Root and we've talked a little bit. I'm coming around more on Root, mm-hmm. but um, the I thought the app was beautifully designed. I think they did a fantastic job. Um, Wingspan, likewise, did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the, both of those digital adaptations. So I yeah. think that's well-deserved for both. Yeah, and uh, they just came out with the expansion for Root, which I am picking up because I really enjoy Root. But the digital adaptation, honestly, for me in 2020 was probably my most played digital adaptation thing um, of anything because it was really even fun to play solo. Um, And they worked out a lot of cool stuff. The art is really fun. Um, And then since I've backed their Kickstarters, I've even received some like free skins that aren't offered to other people. So it's been fun. They've definitely done a really good job with it. Now, Wingspan is probably one of the most relaxing digital implementations i've ever played because it's just got like nice like yoga music um and then bird chirps uh, Mm -hmm. for each of the bird cards and a little like pokedex of i have gotten to play with this card in the game um and so you're trying to like collect them all but if you're just wanting the bird chirps i just want to do a nice fun shout out to there is a gentleman who made an app that takes the bird chirps from the wingspan digital game and it takes your camera on your phone and you scan the card and it'll play the bird noise. So if you're curious, if you're playing the board game, want to hear what the bird sounds like, you can do that. <laughs> um, so it's just a fun little way to end this. Um, and so, Josh, what are your overall takes on the um, 2020 award winners? Certainly, I think uh, they this year was much better ran than than years past. Um I would love to see for the future. One thing is just kind of defining just a one sentence definition of how we're defining these. I think that would be helpful um, for just cutting down on some of the backlash on things like the Dune win or the Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion win for heavy game of the year. Right. I think that but overall, a lot of games getting a lot of recognition, which I think is really the important piece here. Um, Right. I, people come to these types of things to say, what is out there? What is making waves? What is making splashes? And I think all of these are very well-deserved and 
I, I really give a, a lot of credit to the team at BGG for taking the criticisms of the past couple of years and really trying to improve on some things. Um, yeah. I, and, and, you know, my biggest congratulations to all of the folks who, who mm-hmm. got nods from, from the awards this year. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more, Josh. I think they did a phenomenal job this year. And on the note about like definitions and stuff, yes, there were some things that popped up with, hey, you're nominating this for this category. It might be a little heavy or light, but you can still nominate it, but you still want to nominate it. Um, but it should also be just made note of in preparation for this episode, Josh and I both dug into the BGG forums and things and tried to even go to those categories. And a lot of them didn't have descriptions there. Um, so I would just also advocate not only for the descriptions to be uh, a little bit more for the award categories on the front end, but also on the back end. So when we're looking across years, um, we can see the diff- the this definition and then how that's been interpreted over time um, by the games that win, right? Um, so it also just encouraged that kind of rounding out. But this is little stuff on what, I, what besides this is a really great experience. Um, and also, if you want to have your voice heard next year, make sure to vote, make sure to nominate. Um, so if there's games you see over this year, make a note of it and then make sure you nominate it. Um, so games, digital implementations, podcasts, etc. cetera. Um, just give credit where credit is due um, because there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes to make this such a great hobby and experience. Um, and so make sure to vote. And if you need BGG or gold or something like that to vote, just reach out to me oh, um, and we can make that happen. Um, so yeah, just reach out. But hey, I just want to bring us to a close, Josh. So do you have any quick words before I close this out? Uh, last thing I wanted to mention uh, to all of our listeners, I just want to reiterate, I know, Bruce, you talked about it a little bit in the middle of our episode break. Um, but for listeners who are looking at picking up a new game sometime over the next few months, want to strongly encourage folks to consider uh, supporting the Tabletop Alliance by uh, participating in our Christmas in July. Buy a game, give a game. Uh, I think uh, Bruce and and I and, and Fox, our, our other partner there. We, we've all put a lot of work into this. I really hope it's uh, something that folks enjoy and, and take something out of because um, I think it's a great opportunity. Um, and so if you're interested, go on over to uh, shop.tabletopalliance.org. Um, check out what we have. Um, and thank you all so much for all of your support, both for the podcast, for the non nonprofit, um, and just for everything that we do. It, it means yeah. a lot. Yeah, and in case you were wondering or or worried, just a full transparency, Josh and I don't profit whatsoever, nor Fox off of any of this, um, besides for profiting and feel-good feelings, because essentially all of the revenue that comes in is funding the nonprofit and giving a game to a school library community program. Um, so don't, if you're worried about that, don't be, because it's not a thing. Um, this is all pro bono um, stuff on our end, because it's something we care about. Um, so yeah, so with that, hopefully this episode has been helpful in finding some good games for you and your gaming group, as well as discussion on how are you defining games or gaming experiences around your table with your friends and family members and things like that, because it's important that we're all maybe viewing and and discussing the viewpoints, uh, cause then I think we can find some really cool clarity and really cool highlights of gaming experiences. So hopefully this has been helpful for all of that. Um, looking forward to having our upcoming episode 
episodes and, and reporting out on how many great games we're getting to give away. Um, so do look out for that because we're definitely going to be really proud and, and, and ready to celebrate. Um, but on that note, real quick, if you are an educator or librarian that's wanting to have games, like go on to tabletopalliance.org and sign up for a guild so that way we can get in contact with you because we want to support what you are wanting to do. Um, I did, but that's enough on that. So why not, in the meantime, how about you go play some fun games, uh, make sure to get vaccinated, and go have fun, um, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, have make go have a positive impact on the world.